Whether you on the outside of your market trying to tap back in Or just need a little help to find a way to gain some traction again You need some market reconnection We got the answers to your questions No second thoughts or second guessing You need some market reconnection The real question is this How does a seven-figure business regain traction in the market? How do we reconnect with our audience? How do we stop worrying about our competitors? taking over and find the peace of mind and certainty within the marketplace. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Ivan Temelkov. This is Market Reconnection. And today, I'm, enjo- I'm joined by a very cool dude who's about to share his story and talk a little bit about business by the name of Eric Oberon. Eric, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, I'm very excited, actually, uh, to have you on. And I can't wait to kind of peel back the layers of all these different phases of your life, man. But before we do that, why don't you just give us a brief intro of who you are, where you come from and where you've been? Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, Again, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, My name is Eric Oberemt. Um, like I say in my, in my little sizzle reel that I always have when I'm speaking, I do a lot of shit, um, you know, but at my core, how I generate revenue is I own a roofing company. Uh, I own a roofing company out of Nebraska is where our headquarters is, uh, that my grandfather actually started back in the sixties. And I started working with him when I was a little kid, I lived with him, uh, after my parents got divorced and, uh, I started learning the ropes of roofing when I was at a young age of about 10, um, and started selling uh, as soon as I turned 16. So I was 16 and I had a truck and my grandpa gave me a yellow pad of paper with some names on it. And he said, go sell that. You've been watching me long enough. And that was kind of my intro into, uh, into sales. And, uh, I kept doing that all through high school and went to college for a little while. Uh, hated school, um, hated school, hated, hated professors, uh, didn't get along with them because they were trying to teach me some shit out of a book. Uh, that didn't necessarily apply to real life and entrepreneurship and and owning a company. And so I've told this story a few times, but I was driving around campus. I couldn't find a parking spot and I got pissed off and I quit school. Um, okay. That was literally how, how I quit school. I couldn't find a parking spot and I called my grandpa and I said, Hey, you got any more appointments for me? This is what I want to do. He's like, okay. And that was what I, that was literally, that was the path. And, and so I, I finally quit school after about Jesus, I think I went to college like off and on for like five or six years. Um, yeah, that was the business side of it. Um, and then I did that for quite a while, um, married and divorced a, a couple of times um, on on the third now um, and went through a lot of ups and downs in uh, in addiction. And so that's kind of a lot of my story that I know that we're going to dig into a little bit. Um, but I have found ways to implement the things that I learned in recovery into mm-hmm. my business, which has given me the opportunity to grow not only in my life, but in my business as well. Okay. Okay. Wow. So you were a rebel to the system uh, from the get-go from what it sounds like. <laughs> I, yeah, I was, I was a lot of work, man. Like I, I got, I got into a decent amount of trouble. Um, I was looking, I was looking at one to five years in prison uh, for, uh, and, and actually more, but for the charges that I got hooked on, uh, for a fourth offense felony DUI back in 2009, yeah. I was looking at one to five in prison and narrowly dodged much larger charges because I had large amounts of cocaine with me uh, yeah. that I was selling because I was also selling drugs for a couple of years. Um, yeah, fun fact, swear to God, the best entrepreneurs all sold drugs at one time. Um, but <laughs> yes, I, I, I truly believe that. Like it teaches you at a young age how to be an entrepreneur, right? Uh, it, it really does. But anyway, I, I went through that. Um, I went through that and kind of that, that was kind of how I found my, I found my rhythm and, and found that this is what I want to do, but I had to go mm-hmm. through, I had to go through a lot of shit to then end up where I'm at now, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that you said, you said, uh, uh, most entrepreneurs, you know, have sold drugs at one point in time. And I thought that was hilarious because it really alludes to this big misconception that I think 
society has about entrepreneurs because we're technically unemployable, but most of society, right? We're rebels, you know, something's wrong with us. You know, we might need, most people think that, that we need some therapy. And actually some of the most successful people that I have met are exactly what you just said and more. You know, everything from felons to drug dealers to uh, multiple times divorce. I mean, they've had a lot of adversity in life. And so in the question, actually, I want to ask you about that is so you came you came from a from a very challenging, you know, childhood. But like, was there something specific that was going on in your life that kind of pushed you away from from college and everything else and just doing the polar opposite that you can remember? Um. So as far as, and we're talking about business here a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And and as far as business goes, so it's interesting. I've had this conversation privately with people, but never really publicly. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember at a young age, like middle school age, yeah. right? And, and keep in mind, I was working, right? I was working for my grandpa. I was installing roofs. I was learning how to sell. I was, you know, whatever, right? And my grandpa worked really, really, really hard his whole life, not smart, but really fucking hard. And yeah. he had a, he had a job, right? He owned his own company, but for all intents and purposes, he had a job. He had to go sell a job, build a job, go sell another job, build another job. Right. And like, <clears> it was, he was living not paycheck to paycheck, but literally kind of job to job. Right. You could only build so much of a pipeline when you're kind of a one man show. Right. And I remember, I remember literally being in middle school and thinking to myself, this is what I want to do. I don't know what, it, if it's roofing or, you know, like what it is yeah. exactly. But I was yeah. like, this is what I want to do. I'm destined for something else. And it's not having a job. What I didn't know at that time was that going to college, which uh, most people need to go to college, right? And get that education. Um, but college teaches you how to be an employee. College does not, college does not teach you how to own a business or how to be an entrepreneur. They do not, they do not teach you that. Like, thank God there's, there's, there's programs and coaches and stuff out there now today that does teach that, but there, yep. there wasn't, there wasn't that then. Right. But I always knew that there was something else. Um, and that, that, that I wanted to do something else. And that was kind of my moment. Um, I just didn't know what it was. I just knew that there was more and I knew that there was a way to work smarter and to not have to, and when I say work hard, don't get me wrong, like everything that we do is hard work, yeah. right? But what I didn't want to do was sling a fucking hammer or a hot mop on a roof for the rest of my life and work hard like that, right? And break myself yeah. physically to try and get by. I knew that I needed to figure out a different way to do that. It mm -hmm. just it took me a much longer time to figure that out. <clears throat> my learning curve was a lot longer because I didn't have the resources that everybody here today has. Just the fact that we're having this conversation is a resource for people that are listening so that they yeah. don't have to go through the 15 years of shit that I went through that we all went through to figure out how to get there. Right. If I could have shortened that and figure that out in my early thirties, whoo, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that would have been fantastic. Yeah. So that was kind of my moment that I knew that something needed to be different. Um, but I really wasn't able to double down on anything until later in life when I started taking over a little <clears> bit of ownership <throat> of the company and I was able to start really making decisions and changing the trajectory of what we were doing as a business. Yeah. I love that. The thrill of the ride. That's basically what you just explained. You know, I think, uh, us real entrepreneurs are a different breed. And there's so much that when you were saying that, like you said, I just, when you were saying that you didn't want to swing a hammer for the rest of your life. And then that you completely agree with you. Cause I'm someone that dropped out of college too, you know, as an, as, as an immigrant or the son of an immigrant also. So I completely 100% relate to everything that you just said and more because um, you said college teaches you to be an employee. And I think a lot of modern entrepreneurs or specifically new entrepreneurs, you know, fail to understand that college teaches you how to think, like you said, it doesn't teach you how to act. And I think real world experience is the best experience that you can get, as you mentioned, because like you said, you were sitting there and you were like, well, you know, school is not for me. I want to do something different. I don't know what that is. So it's the thrill of the ride of being able to discover 
that yeah. you were meant for something bigger. And I think that's kind of, kind of the crossroads where a lot of especially new entrepreneurs kind of go through because there's fear and there's curiosity, right? So there's fear that what if I fail, but there's curiosity. They're like, well, what if I, what if I succeed? And so you kind of took that route of curiosity. You took on helping your grandfather with the business. So at what point did you evolve into, you know, Hey, I'm swinging a hammer every day, you know, up on roofs to, okay, how can I strategically pursue this business to grow and evolve it further? Like what, at what point did you make that shift? Yeah. So I actually vividly, I vividly remember, um, and this is very obviously roofing specific, but you can yeah. put it into any, any business. Right. I remember in the early two thousands, um, I was still installing. I was still selling a job here and there. Right. And then installing that job, just like my grandpa did. Right. Like I was following in his footsteps. And I remember that we started getting hit with hailstorms in the Omaha area back in the early two thousands. Right. Before that, we didn't get the storm damage that we get today. Um, and I remember going and selling some residential jobs and I didn't install residential jobs. So we had to go get subcontractor crews to go install the residential jobs. Yeah. But then, but then I was like, wait a minute, I can just sell a bunch of these residential jobs and have somebody else install them. I'm like, Oh fuck. Like this is our, <laughs> this is starting to sound like a business, right? Like this is yeah. starting to sound like something that's scalable and that, you know, like I can get myself out of this, of this world of busting my ass. So for people that that do understand the roofing business, what it generally is, is it's people that start in residential roofing sales for their company. And yeah. then they and then they want to convert into commercial because they see like bigger tickets, right? My story is I literally started in commercial as a kid. That was all we did was commercial roofing. Mm -hmm. And then I transfer, I I switched us to residential so I didn't have to work so goddamn hard. And then about 10 years ago, I realized that I hate dealing with homeowners and I want to sell commercial again. And so I, <laughs> and so I completely changed my business model again yeah. about eight to 10 years ago where we're about 50, 50 commercial, but I only live in the commercial space. So like, I'm only dealing with like high level conversations and private equity guys and, and property owners and policyholders instead of Mrs. Yeah. Smith, you know, who's, who's worried about what color she's picking out you know, and if you stepped on a rose bush, right now, that's still a division of our company. Yeah. And I have somebody that leads that it's just not, it's not <clears throat> what I thrive in. So I stay out of it. But that was kind of, that was where I, I, I learned that I didn't have to work so hard. And there's still so many people in, in the world and in all different industries that are breaking their back every day because they're scared of taking that leap to being a business. They're scared of taking that yeah. leap of bringing people into their company because you can't, you can't control what people do. You can only lead them to try and make them the best versions of themselves that you can make them. Yeah. Right. And then trust them to do the things that they say that they're going to do. It doesn't mean that they're not going to fail. It doesn't mean that you're not going to fail. Right. But you now have an opportunity for growth. I never, right. you never have an opportunity for growth when you're stuck in that rut in that path. And so that was my moment was when I started converting us to residential that I saw this opportunity of like, Oh, this is how you build a business. Right. I, I always, yeah. I always equate it to a restaurant to the old restaurant analogy. If you've got a thousand square foot restaurant and you can fit 12 tables in the restaurant and you can turn them every 45 minutes, you literally can figure out exactly how much you're capped at making in a week or in a month, right? Yeah. Because there's only so many fucking tables and there's only so fast that you can turn them and there's only so much you can make on every table, right? Yeah. So you have to make a bigger room to get more tables to be able to flip the tables to be able to make more money. It's the same thing in any business that we have. If I don't have more sales guys, more crews to be able to flip more shit, I can't grow as a business at yeah. all. And once I learned that by watching <laughs> it when I switched to the residential side, that like opened up every, every avenue and every path that I wanted to go down. Uh, so what you were saying is that you're 50, 50 now, right? So you do 50% residential and 50% commercial. Yep. You know, um, as you were talking about the subcontracting option 
Um, that's actually really important because uh, in the trade space specifically, yep. actually my father has a trade business. And when you were talking about the subcontracting aspect, I think that's sort of a, a pivotal point for businesses in the trade space to realize that, like you said, oh shit, I can pay a crew to go and install and I can go and sell more and then, yeah. you know, just mark it up. So I have some profitability and these guys have work. So I'm feeding them and their family and they're doing the job and I'm selling more jobs. You know, you'd be surprised in the trade space specifically, how many people never fathom that. They just mm -hmm. want to run their own crew because they yep. want to be able to control the outcome of every mm -hmm. job. And from what you're saying is like, no, that's a standstill. You want to be able to subcontract out so you can sell more, not work hard, swinging that hammer, like you said, yep. but being able to sell more, they do the work and you can still have some in-house talent, but you're subcontracting some of it out so you can distribute and have higher volume. And that's how you grow your business. Like you said, that restaurant analogy, you know, you got yep. 12 tables, you know, circulate them every so often when you max out on space, <laughs> look for more space, build more space, build an addition or whatever. So I think that analogy is very powerful. Um, I want to talk more about the business side of it. So, okay, you figured out that you can subcontract, right? So that was kind of like a pivotal point for your business, you know, and being able to grow uh, in scale. But can you recall of any other things like looking back, you know, in your business that has helped you grow and scale and get to where you are today? Yes. So I, I definitely uh, like everybody that's listening has been at a point where like I got stuck. Right. Yeah. I, I felt like I hit, I hit my plateau, if you will. Um, I didn't know where to go next. Uh, the one thing that every time I'm on somebody's show that I preach about is invest in yourself by investing in somebody else, invest in a coach, um, whether it's a life coach or a business coach or whatever it is, I've got both. Um, you know, you think about some of the biggest guys in the world, right? The Milets and the Frisellas and the, all these guys, right? Like they all have fucking coaches, right? A thousand percent. They all have coaches that they lean on to be able to figure out like, Hey, I got to here, but I don't know how to get to here. Right. Yeah. And you, you have to have somebody that either knows a little bit more than you or, has the ability to get you to be able to open your mind up so that you figure out how to get to that next, to that next stage that you're trying to get to. And the other thing that I, I really like to press upon people, because a lot of people say, well, that's great. I'll just go get a mentor. Yeah. Right. I'll go get a mentor. That's fantastic. You should, everybody should have a mentor, right? But a mentor is a friend relationship, right? Whenever it suits that human to be able to spend some time with you and impart some wisdom, that's when you're going to get it, right? When you have a coach or somebody that you work with, you're having a transactional relationship that you're saying, I'm going to give you X money. You're going to give me time and information for that transaction, mm -hmm. right? And now it's not, well, when does it work for you? It's when does it work for me? So that I know I've got a month to accomplish this goal that I've set forth to myself. I don't know how to get there. I'm going to pay you to sit down with me and build it out. Right. And once I made that realization that spending money on coaches wasn't a waste of money and that it was me investing in myself and the ability to grow my business, that was when things completely changed for me. And, and now Every time I hit that little spot, I'm able to jump on a call and be like, Clay, I'm here. I don't know how the fuck to get to here. Can you work through it with me? And we can spend yeah. however much time is necessary to figure out how to do that. And I don't have to spend a year trying to figure it out on my own. Right. And that's, yeah. I think that is a huge game changer of, of how you get to that next level. Yeah. That is so powerful. And I'm glad that you talked about it, not just, you know, hiring a life coach or a business coach, but the importance of um, not doing things yourself because you pay someone to fix a problem. So when you invest in yourself, in essence, 
are attracting other people that can help you solve a problem that you have in your business that's going to help you scale and grow. Because what I think specifically six to seven and even seven to eight figure business owners specifically struggle with is exactly what you just said. I think once people kind of hit, okay, I'm doing a couple million per year, let's say two to five million in gross revenue, right? Yep. They're like, all right, I got here. But what, what's wrong right now with my business? What's holding me back from getting to 10 million or 20 million? And how long is it going to take? Well, suddenly it's like, okay, maybe it's my marketing or maybe it's my resources or maybe right. it's my operations, systems and prop processes. You know, what is it specifically? And then you got to try and figure out like, who do I know or who can I meet that can help me solve these problems that's going to help my business grow? Now, now, here's the really key important factor that you actually talked about is there's a lot of seven-figure business owners that don't understand the mentality behind that. They don't understand that it's a lot it's a lot less expensive to hire someone to solve you a problem to say, okay, Eric, you know, Eric, this is how it's going to work. Like you said, you want to scale your business, you hired a coach, a life coach and a business coach to be able to change your mindset to know how are you going to keep moving forward. Without them, you would have been stuck in the same place for a while. I mean, you Correct. probably would have evolved at some point, but it's going to take you a lot longer. So yeah, you don't know how long it's going to take. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that's extremely important. And the biggest takeaway is this, that you pay people to solve problems, basically. So you yeah. got problems. In fact, the bigger the problems, the better, because if you have a big problem and someone can help you solve that problem, yeah. that's going to advance your business forward faster. Yeah. The other, and the other thing that I would like to make sure that people come away with too, is mm -hmm. when I changed, when I changed my perception and my mindset on how important my physical wellness was to myself, that completely changed everything around me because it also changed the people around me because yeah. I, I, I have my routine in the morning yeah. of when I go to the gym when I'm done with the gym, what I'm doing at the gym, who I'm working out with, if I'm, you know, like I do CrossFit and, you know, I eat yeah. certain things and whatever it is. And I never concern myself with that, you know, back, uh, I've been sober 13 years. So about 13 years ago, when I went to treatment, I was 310 pounds and like had a hard time and had a hard time breathing. Right. Yeah. And like who, so it, when, when you think of that, and like, this isn't me insulting people that are, you know, out of shape and, and whatever it is, but here's the thing. How do you expect somebody to respect you, especially in a sales environment, if you can't fucking take care of yourself, if you can't make a decision to take care of yourself and your well-being, why would they trust you to take care of them and their well-being, right? They wouldn't. It's absolutely insane. Yep. And it's why the people that are the most successful, if you look across <clears throat> the fucking board, if you line up a hundred people on a screen of, of top 100 successful people, I'll bet you 99 of them all are in shape and, and healthy, right? It doesn't mean they're all fucking jacked and ripped and you know, whatever, but they're healthy. They're healthy. They eat well, they work out every day and they care about themselves and their bodies. There might be one anomaly out there of some, you know what I mean? Like some big fat asshole that gets to sit on the boat with his 18 yeah. year olds that he buys, right? Like that's fine. There's always that one anomaly out there, but as a general rule, get your life together and get your physical life together as well as your mental and everything, because yeah. then everything else will follow that. I think that's really, really important. I'm glad you, <clears throat> I'm glad you mentioned this, Eric, um, <clears throat> because there's three things about fitness that I think most entrepreneurs don't understand. It's about the discipline, the commitment, and the consistency. Because very much like you, it's been probably better part of 20 years that I've failed with health and fitness. In fact, now I'm in the best shape I've ever been in my entire life. I've been a cyclist for 13 years. I'm actually getting ready to train for my first half Ironman this oh, wow. year. Uh, I did a 63-mile race in 2021. Uh, wow. I did a Tough Mudder event in 2021. Nice. And one thing that you you said this, and this is why I'm reiterating this, is because you hit the nail on the fucking head. Literally, I know it might sound judgmental, 
And I used to think that way too, when you said that you look at someone and you can almost instantly say like the kind of person they are based on their appearance, because like you said, if they're that anomaly, that, that dude that's 400 fucking pounds with his kid on the boat, you're the fucking anomaly. But the rest, like you said, the Ed Milets and the Indifferent which I have huge respect for these guys. I've mm-hmm. followed them for a very long time. That's exactly what they preach from a value, from a methodology standpoint. But most people in the entrepreneurial space don't understand that if you can't be disciplined with yourself, if you can't be committed to yourself, if you can't be consistent to yourself, how in the fuck are you going to service anybody? You're not. If you put me in a room with two people with the same pitch, I'm going to choose the guy that or gal that takes care of themselves over the other guy that had to go get custom suits because they didn't fucking fit him if he bought him off the rack. <laughs> I, you're absolutely right, man. I, I, I 100% admire what you just said. I, that's why I reiterate it because there's a lot of entrepreneurs, believe it or not, there is some seven, eight, I, I think, I don't know if you remember seeing, there was um, a video that actually Andy Frisella shared recently that was from like six years ago, I think when he was like 325 pounds, it was a video mm, of mm-hmm. him getting out of bed and my mind you, this is a CEO of what a couple of nine figure companies or so, mm-hmm. maybe even close to 10 figure. The reason I mention him is because he's a St. Louis guy and I'm in St. Louis. So these oh, okay. very well known, you know, first form, the summer bash, like all that. But mm-hmm. to what you were saying is like he, the reason why he shared that video is like, I was a fucking disgrace. He admitted it. He said, I was a fucking disgrace to mm-hmm. myself. And I allow that to happen. I allowed it, which goes to show that in entrepreneurship, a lot of the things are actually your fault. It's nobody else's fault. It's your fault. Not not a lot of things. Everything. <laughs> I mean, in entrepreneurship, you're, it, it buck stops with you, man. Right? Like yeah. everything is your fault. Right? You can blame it on somebody yeah. else, but it doesn't fucking matter because they're going to leave anyway. Right? Everything yeah. is your fault. Yeah. But that's yeah. okay because it tells you that you're able to fix it then yeah. because if it's somebody else's yeah. fault, then, then, then what are you supposed to do? Right. But if you take, I mean, we've all read extreme ownership, right? Like if you're in the entrepreneur space and you haven't read extreme ownership, you're an idiot, go read extreme ownership, <laughs> right? Like you can't be an entrepreneur or be a successful business person. If you don't read yeah. books like that. Right. Yeah. But you have to take ownership of everything. Cause at the end of the day, everything stops with you right? Every mistake that's made in the business, every fuck up stops with you because you could have done something differently to set expectations to make sure that that didn't yeah. happen. Right. And if we take that responsibility on, that gives us the opportunity to be able to do everything else that we want to do. Yeah. Control what you can, I think is where I was going with that discussion, control what you can. And yeah. you control a lot of things, yeah. um, like you said. And I think that's, because, again, one of the reasons why I'm alluding to this is because there's a lot of seven-figure business owners that are in that position, like, they're unhealthy. In fact, I know actually a couple of eight-figure business owners that, like, they tried 75, 75 hard multiple times. They failed. They tried some diet that someone put them on. They failed. It's like they fail, fail, fail. And when you look back at the trend, it's like, well, you failed because you failed to be consistent to yourself. Yeah. You didn't yeah. commit to yourself to eat right, to work out, um, <clears throat> to do whatever is necessary. So whose fault is it? It's your fault. You have, you have two, you have, when you're doing something like 75 hard, I've done 75 hard twice. Yeah. And when you're doing 75 hard, you, every single fucking day, you have two choices, do it or don't. You didn't fail. You fucking chose not to do it. Right. And then because of that, we can label it as a failure, but you, you made a choice, Right. Every single day I made a choice because you know how many times the first time I did 75 hard, I wanted to quit. Holy shit. I mean, have you done it? I haven't done it, but I've quit uh, a lot of times on programs, dude, man. It, it's, it's, I mean, it's a bitch, right? <clears throat> like, I mean, and yeah. especially if you travel like, oh my God, like, and I travel a ton, but like to get through 75 hard when you travel is a motherfucker. But like every single day. Yeah. I made, I had to make a decision of, am I going to accomplish what I said I was going to do today so I can get one more day under my belt, right? Honestly, the only reason I was able to do any of those programs is because I had to do the same thing when I got sober. Right. I had to make a, I had to make a decision mm-hmm. every single day that I wasn't going to drink today because I knew if I did, I knew what would happen, right? And I was like, if I can yeah. do that, 
the drunk and the drug addict that I was, if I can make that decision every day, I can make any decision every day. I'm familiar with the 75 hard program. And I think one of the reasons that I haven't done it, well, for one is I'm on the program right now that I actually am trying to get completely shredded. Mind you, I've never been at this weight that I'm currently for at least 20 years. So right. this is a huge leap, but <clears throat> I'm familiar with the 75 hard. I've read the program. I think one of the things was the alcohol, which it sounds like it suited very well for you because you weren't, you've been in recovery for so long. Yep. I was like, this is just going to help amplify what I'm already doing is resist alcohol. So it's good for me. I get in the shape. I get fed. It teaches me um, fortitude. It teaches me hard discipline also. Mm -hmm. And all of that, this is what people don't understand. I'm glad we're talking so much about this because mind you, 20 years I've been failing with this and a lot of entrepreneurs fail with it to understand the importance of mental and physical strength. So if you can get fit, if you look good, you feel good. So if you look yeah. at yourself in the mirror, like, fuck, I can see my abs. You know, I got muscles. I got biceps. Damn legs look, look really good. What does that do? It boosts your confidence. And if it boosts your confidence, you're going to perform better. You're going to be more mm -hmm. resilient. You're going to be mm -hmm. more polarizing. You're not going to stop at the fucking haters. Or if something bad happens on social media, let's face it, we've all had it. Someone's trash talking. It's like, mm -hmm. ooh, you hurt my feelings. Like, no, right. I'm not going to let that shit happen because I'm mentally and physically stronger than that. Right. And I can overcome it. So I know we can talk a lot about the fitness and I'm glad you mentioned it. I'm yeah. glad you mentioned it. And also you mentioned that you have a routine, right? That you follow every single day, every morning. Now, can you talk a little bit about that routine? How, how, just share a little bit about it and how has that served you with your business? Yeah. So one thing I'll be completely <clears throat> transparent and honest about is that my routine is fucking nails when I'm at home and when I'm traveling, it is not. Um, because travel just screws up everything. So like, I'm not going to pretend that I am the perfect, you know, I don't personify routine when I'm traveling. Right. I try yeah. to, I yeah. try to, um, uh, but I'm not perfect. But when I'm at home, everybody in my business knows what my schedule is, is that I wake up at five 36 o'clock. I jump into my office at my house and I do work for about an hour just to knock some shit out while it's mm -hmm. quiet and everybody's still sleeping. My daughter's seven years old. She takes priority over everything else. Phone gets turned off and I'm dealing with my daughter and my wife from 645 until she goes to school at about 745, right? Yeah. I go back into my office. I would take a meeting. Usually I usually have a meeting set every day at 745, whether it's with part of my sales team or leadership team or something. I usually have a meeting set at 745. I take that till about 830, 845. And then my wife and I both go to the gym together and do CrossFit together. We don't get to do a lot of shit together. Yeah. Um, honestly, don't have a lot of the same like interests and stuff and like, you know, uh, hobbies and whatnot. Like I'm a scuba diver. She fucking hates it. I play golf. <laughs> she fucking hates it. Right. Like, so like, we don't have a lot of those things that we do together, yeah. but yeah. we go to the gym every single day that class starts at nine 30. So I leave my house at about 8.45, get to the gym at about 9.10, warm up, work out from 9.30 to 10.30, and then I immediately have another meeting at 10.45 every single day for another one of my companies, right? And that is my morning all the way to 10.45, 11.15, and then from 11.15-ish on is everything that I booked in the next day from the day before, right? So yeah. then I get to yeah. book out calls like this and, you know, different meetings with, with whomever else it is or whatever, or if I need to go to the chiropractor, or if I need to go to, you know, do, do some, yep. you know, go, go to a cold plunge, whatever it is, but that's my morning. And everybody in my business understands the expectation of you don't fucking call Eric from this time to this time, feel free to do it, but he's not going to answer and he's not going to respond yep. because these are the things that allow me to get ready for the day. Now, moving forward for 23, I'm changing it a little bit because there's some things that I need to add in. I need to add in a 10 minute morning meditation. I used to do that before and yeah. it kind of tape, it kind of tapered off. I just didn't want to get up the extra 25 minutes early that I needed yeah. to, to get it done. Um, but that's something that I'm going to start implementing this year because I know that when I do that, it really sets a stage for my day. When I get to, when I get to just sit with myself in the quiet listen to something. My mind coach gives me some stuff to listen to and whatever. And he programs my brain. I don't know. It's fucking crazy, but I get to do that. I get to do yeah. that every day. 
Um, that's something that I'm going to be adding personally into mine. And I would, I would highly encourage anybody listening to look into something like that because when you wake up with anxiety of what the fuck's going to happen today, or what am I going to do today? What is my plan for today? You plan your day the day before so that in the morning you can get up, get centered, right? And get ready for you. And then anything that comes your way is able to be dealt with. It's absolutely able to be dealt with if you are ready, but you have to take that time to be able to do it. Eric, I absolutely love that you alluded so much about the routine and the impact they has had. In fact, it's actually kind of ironic because as a fellow father, I have a six-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter. And, you know, um, I get my son to school in the morning, same time. I get my daughter to daycare. This is her last year, you know, and then I kind of go through some of the similar emotions that you talked about, try to get up early in the morning, you know, crunch away if wife is at home, um, you know, kind of do some work also. But you were talking really the, the fundamental importance of that is having structure because uh, you, you said, well, I'm not perfect with my routines when I travel. And it's like, personally, I think perfection is for narcissists because we're humans yeah. and we make errors mm-hmm. and that's okay. But there's a difference between failing and quitting. You will fail, right? You'll learn, but then you get up and say, okay, what did I do wrong? Okay. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do that again. Let me try it again. Let me try it again. Let me try it again. Just keep going to get it fucking right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to, or you, about- or you get some result, right? You yeah. might not get it right, but you will get some result that you can take data from to be able yeah. to implement it into what you're doing next. Yeah. Right? It doesn't mean that you always win, but you'll always get fucking data. You'll always get data that you can use to implement into the next thing that you're doing. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that is important to me. No, that's really important. Actually, that kind of segues to the next thing I want to talk to you about, because I want to say thank you for like all the things that you mentioned, everything from the fitness to, to the mental strength, to the importance of finding people to help you, because there's, I think one of the things that I've seen, and there's several people they've been following Instagram that literally talk specifically about things like, okay, you're at seven figures. You want to go to eight and nine figures. How are you going to get there? Well, guess what? It's all the shit that you're not doing. And it's things like seven figure business owners that there's a lot of them don't invest into their physical and mental strength. They don't go to the gym. They don't eat right. They drink alcohol. They drink soda. You know, uh, they drink twice burned coffee. I was that guy. In fact, uh, I think I what the fuck about, is twice burned coffee. So you about you're about to get blown away. <laughs> so years ago, I actually had someone that I talked to. He was starting a, a coffee company, uh, and he was out of uh, oh my god, one of the South America countries. I'm trying. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, but very dedicated guy. And he said, "Did you know that Starbucks actually twice burns their coffee?" And I'm like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And he said, the reason why Starbucks coffee is so dark and rich is because once they brew the coffee, they burn it. So it creates that dark on the bottom and then they mix it for a darker, richer flavor. So they they distill it and filter it right now. Now, the reason I mentioned this, too, is because I used to drink Starbucks like crazy, man. I was that crazy guy that would buy the fucking lattes around the holidays and all that. Mm-hmm. I would always get fucking heartburn. Mm-hmm. All right. I would always get heartburn. Nowadays, mind you, I just fast and drink black coffee. I haven't drank black coffee until five years ago. Honestly, mm-hmm. I was always, you know, uh, the lattes and the holiday mm-hmm. drinks and yeah, all that shit. Yeah. So what I discovered is Starbucks coffee was the only coffee that gave me heartburn because he has acid. So when I stopped drinking it, my heartburn went away. Really? I shit you not. I shit you not. It's the only wow. fucking coffee so nowadays, the only coffee that I drink black is like the Dunkin' Donuts, which is like, you know, the grounded type, but it's straight black. I don't add anything to it. It's just flavored yeah. like hazelnut or vanilla yeah, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. The only kind. And what I found is, mind you, like most people I know think I'm fucking crazy because I usually fast from the night before, which is like 10 or 11 until around 12 or 1 the following day. The only thing I drink is black coffee. That's it. Mm. And he has, so anyway, that's a whole different conversation, yeah, but I'm glad yeah, yeah. that I just want to bring it up because most people don't know that. And one no, I didn't know that. Uh, I learned, so I learned something new today. Yeah. So thank you. This is yeah. worth the call for me. I learned what the fuck twice burned <laughs> coffee was. I had no idea. 
It, it is. It's, it's a thing in the coffee industry about creating a darker, richer flavor because it's all, it's all about the appeal to the consumer when you think about yeah. it, right? Yeah. Like, um, I think it was Jesse Itzler posted this on Instagram. He wouldn't reveal what it was, but he was holding the back of the package, the nutritional facts of um, uh, the snacks that Southwest Airlines serves. Mm. Okay. And he was, he was reading everything on there. He's like, well, all of this stuff that's in these snacks was made in the lab. And most people are like, the snacks taste good. I know I was that person. Snacks taste good. But if you flip it over, it's it's all artificial shit. The yeah. ingredients in it made to taste good. Yep. Yeah. The day I started reading the back of of, of boxes and shit, like yeah. completely changed my life and how I eat. Like, it's insane. Yeah. So I want to move on to the next topic yeah. because I think this is this is a really good one. You can share a lot about it, but. Let's talk about specific traits that in your experience, you think the modern seven plus figure entrepreneurs or really just thriving entrepreneurs should have, in your opinion, to be able to, to grow, not just their business, but their life also. Oh, man. So traits, I mean, this is a broken record, but it's, it's discipline and consistency, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's discipline and consistency. And, uh, and I'll, I'll be honest, too. I think the ones, and, and this isn't from a judgy standpoint because I'm sober, but I think that the, I think that the big fucking drunks, um, are always going to end up failing, um, because they can't, yeah. you can't have discipline and be consistent when you're, when, when you turn into that kind of that lush, uh, that the purpose for you making all the money is so that you can go get drunk and high and have the women and have, you know, the cars and you know, whatever it is. Right. Um, I think that that, Again, that isn't me being judgy guy because I'm sober now and, you know, whatever. I think it just sure. I think that it really does play a role in um, if you look at, you know, if you look at some of the most successful people, they might drink. Right. Um, but they don't have the same allergy that I have right to alcohol. And they're able to have, you know, a couple of drinks and not go down this this path. Mm -hmm. um, but but as far as what I've really learned for myself. Was consistency, really consistency and discipline are kind of the same thing. It's one of the hardest things in the world to be really good at. Um, yeah. I, 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 it is, it is not an easy thing to do, which is, which is why those who are really good at it end up being really successful and you don't have to be born with it you have to teach your brain how to do it. You have to teach your brain by doing the same thing every day. Like we've all probably read, have you read Atomic Habits and you know uh, uh, some of those yeah. books, but like you have, to, you have to wire your brain by doing something so many times to where it just becomes something that you do, like brushing your teeth in the morning or whatever your routine is in the morning, right? You wake up and you immediately go take a piss or you, you know what I mean? Like we just, we could do it with our eyes closed, right? Yeah. And when we get to the point where, we're doing those things that we know we set a goal, right? We all, we all know that we set a goal for the year. And then we all know that if we're going to reach that goal, we set it and we forget about it. And then we revert, yeah, sorry, we reverse engineer it yeah. to figure out what are the little things that we have to do to be able to eventually get to that end goal. And then what do we do every day to execute, to be able to hit those mini goals in between so that we hit the long goal, right? It's the, yeah. it's the exact, it's the exact same conversation and the exact same thing where if we don't sit down and write them down, right, write down the things that you want to be consistent about, because you know that that's, what's going to reach you to the level that you want to be, whether that's get up in the morning, meditate, get up in the morning, meditate, go to the gym, do it, do, do this specific workout the next day, you know, like every other day, whatever it is. Right. <clears throat> but when you write yeah. them down and your brain is seeing it right? You're literally you're like rewiring neurons and shit so that it changes yep. how yep. you operate. It is a not an easy thing to do, but if it was easy, everybody'd fucking do it. Uh, so I actually, I appreciate you sharing that. So important discipline and consistency, but can you share a specific example with your roofing company where you've exercised or adapted discipline and consistency where it wasn't before 
And what kind of an impact has that made on the business? Yeah. So like I know 10 years ago, I didn't know what the fuck KPI stood for. <laughs> yeah. No joke. I literally yeah. didn't. And I went to a thing and they're like, <clears throat> what are your KPIs? And I was like, what the fuck's a KPI? Like, I, mean, <laughs> I, I literally like it was an embarrassing conversation, but like yeah. I had to ask yeah. the question. I didn't know what I didn't know what it was. Um, yeah. I remember coming home from that going, all right, people ever heard of a KPI? And they're all like, no. Right. And like, I literally, like literally if you're running a business and you're not tracking KPIs and yeah. you're not holding people accountable to KPIs, that was how my business changed. I started holding my business development reps and my sales reps on the commercial side to KPIs that you have talked to this many people a day. You have to email this many people here. Oh, we'll give you a software so that'll make it even fucking easier yeah. for you. Right. Yeah. We get, get, get them HubSpot, get them, you know, whatever it is and start logging all that information. So you can part, start putting sequences in so that you know that these many emails are going out and you follow up and you set tasks and whatever. Right. Yeah. And then with re with uh, residential guys, how many doors did you knock today? How many doors did you knock this week? Out of those knocks, how many appointments did you set? Out of those appointments, how many presentations did you get to do? Out of those presentations, how many did you close? Because now we can go back and we can extrapolate from that data yeah. that you, you knocked a thousand doors and you only sold two deals. Well, why is that? Right? So now we can figure out where your, where your failure point is, right? Or maybe I get the unicorn that's like, I knocked three doors, but I sold 27 jobs. Well, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> right. And then we get to sit down and have that conversation. Yeah. So I can say, well, let's start implementing what you're doing with the rest of the team. Maybe that's because they're talking to insurance agents. So they're talking to real estate agents. So they're networking and they're on this referral streak that nobody else knows how to emulate and duplicate. But Johnny figured it out. So Johnny, now that we have this data, let's go figure out how to duplicate that with the rest of the yeah. team. Right. But if you don't have data, I will tell you as a business owner, if you're listening to this and you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, or a sales rep, a sales rep is, a, is essentially a business owner, right? You are a business owner. You own your own business within your business, right? Yeah. That 100%, yep. you are a business owner. If you are not tracking data, you are so limited in what your ceiling is. Your ceiling is low as fuck if you don't track data, because if you don't track data so that you can go back yep. and review it and figure out how to make decisions after you've gathered the data, you're leaving so much money on the table. There is so much money on the table, millions, millions of dollars you're leaving on the table by not tracking data. So get fucking KPIs and get trackers and make them easy for your people to use or you. Yeah, I mean, you said it best, track, measure, analyze, optimize, cleanse and repeat, basically. And you said it much nicer than me. Yes. <laughs> You well, said it much nicer and cleaner than me. Yes. I, <laughs> I just yelled a lot of words, but yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and the reason I did is because this is a space I've been for over two decades and you actually said it without me even saying anything that as a business owner, especially once you go from six to seven and then from seven to eight, you know, you really have to look at your KPIs and say, like you said, how many doors do we knock on? Or, yeah. you know, we ran X amount of ads and what did these ads do for us? You know, and then yeah. also look at at what part of, uh, you know, the sales process you're in. Are you awareness, interest, intent, purchasing? Are you tackling all of them? Because one thing that actually specifically, I think it's only eight figure businesses usually are really the only ones that can actually afford it. Uh, is to do all different stages of a sales funnel. So they're doing awareness, they're doing interest, they're doing intent and purchasing because they're attracting customers from the top of the funnel all the way down to the sales funnel. Now, to your point is, like you said, what the fuck is a KPI 10 years ago, right? So what the fuck is a sales funnel, right? Well, you need a sales funnel to be able to you know, drive people through because let's face it, you might be the best roofing company in Omaha, but nobody gives a shit because they don't know who you are in the first place and you're trying to sell them a roof. So how in the hell, it's kind of like trying to have a one night stand with a woman that you're going to marry. That ain't going to happen. Right. <laughs> you right. know, and I think I did, I did do, I did do that once, but yeah, but go on. <laughs> well, we live and learn, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying I did that once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we live and learn. And I, and I'm glad that you mentioned that. Cause that just, you know, adds a little bit of character and personality to this. Um, now, another thing I want to actually talk to you about, because there's a lot that you've learned about business that you didn't know. 
um, that has served you well, well to be able to scale and grow your business. But let's face it, 2023, how are you going to differentiate your business from everyone else? Have you thought about that? Yeah. So we're actually, we're, we, we've done this in the past, but we're doubling down on it this year. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a slogan that's called, the name of our business is DNM, DNM Roofing. My mm -hmm. grandfather's name was Delton Mares. He literally named the company after himself back in the 60s, right? <laughs> but it's DNM Roofing. And our slogan is the DNM difference, right? Okay. And and what is the DNM difference? And our our people are instructed to have conversations with every client that says, hey, look, I just want you to know that we understand that there are a lot of different companies that you can work with. And there's probably a lot of companies out there that you will get the mm -hmm. same product installed at the same level, right? At the same high level of craftsmanship, of you know, experience, whatever, right? What we feel like makes us different is what we do in the community and how we give back. And then we break down and we show to them that I, the owner of the company, is a co-founder of a nonprofit called Roofers in Recovery, where we give yep. back to our industry and try and save lives inside of our industry. And we send people to treatment that can't afford it, right? And then we choose another nonprofit in our local community because we have the Omaha location. And then I just moved to Texas. So I actually live just north of Houston. Um, oh, okay. and, so we're, and so we're opening up a, another branch here. I hired my leadership team and we're, we're going live Feb 1. Okay. But so we're going to pick like a local, another local charity here to say, hey, we do this on a national level and we give back this percentage of every single job to roofers in recovery because our owner is actually a co-founder of the company. And we also partner with fucking cowboys and kittens. I don't know. Right. And, and, and we give yeah. back and we give back to that because that's something that locally we know that a lot of people care about. And what we care about is our actual community because one of our core values is we are family and we treat everybody in our business like family. And because of that, we want to treat our clients like family. And we want you to know that we care about all the people in this community. So that being said, if you decide to go work with company A, B, or C, totally understand. But I would ask them, what are they doing for the community? What are they doing for the industry that they actually work in to yep. up-level it and make sure that it's better? And yep. if they if they are doing that as well, then you know, then you've got a hard choice to make. But if none of those other companies are doing that, you have a really easy choice to make. I I could be wrong, but I think exactly what you just said, core values, I think is gonna be the the shift in 2023 that's gonna differentiate your company because people want to do business with companies that that they can stand behind from an ethical standpoint and companies that have strong values that they believe in. Um, so I, I think personally, but, and you said it really doubling down on what's the DNM difference. So that's your slogan, right? Mm -hmm. But beyond that slogan, extrapolating the meaning of that slogan, because people are like, well, what the fuck is DNM? You know, it's like, right. and you just explained DNM, that was my grandfather's name. So once you go down the route of creating the personalization and empathy, so people understand that, well, we differentiate ourselves because we give back to the community, your nonprofit also being able to help these people. But also, you know, we talk to people, we actually care. Here's our core values. Here's how we operate. And suddenly people are like, yeah, I'm going with you because right. I, I believe in what you believe in the way that you operate your company from yep. a human centric standpoint, which could be a whole another podcast episode, actually, right. to talk yep. about. Because I think in 2023, a lot of companies are not doing that. Like, for example, um, I, there are a few companies like uh, actually Supplement Superstores, which is one of um, Andy Frazella's companies, they mm -hmm. actually write hand notes. Every yep. time you go in and you purchase a product, they'll send you like every once in a while, like every two months or something, I'll go in to buy new supplements because I'm running out. And about a week later, I'll get a card, a flip out card that says, hey, Ivan, uh, this is Stacy from Supplement Superstores. I want to say handwritten, hand fucking written. Mm -hmm. Nobody does that shit. Mm -hmm. And so like to your point, I think this will be the pivoting point of your business to really separate yourself from the rest of the herd because you have strong core values. You are about family. You operate differently. You're not after just the check, which ultimately has benefits all around because not only for retention, but new client acquisition, because 
you know, you have strong core values and you do one job, then that person's going to say, hey, I did. Uh, I had my roof installed, but it's commercial residential by yep. DNM. By the way, you should check out this company. They got strong core values. That's why I decided to go with them. Not because they were the cheapest. They're probably the most expensive, but I went with them because they have strong core values. Yeah, that's how so, you create rave. That's how you create raving fans. If you have not read the book "Raving Fans" as a business mm -hmm. owner, uh, you're 100 missing out. Have you read that? I have not, but now I'm going to add it to the list. It, it, it is like this big. It is a mm -hmm. super small book, and it's a really weird read the way that they that they wrote it. Um, yeah. But a friend of mine, actually the other co-founder of Roofers in Recovery, introduced me to that book. Yeah. And I make, I make my team read it every year. I make my team read. It's only like, you can literally read it in like an hour, right? If you like sit okay. down and knock it out. Yeah. Um, amazing book that will literally change how you do business and how you treat clients. Um, so everybody listening, write yeah. down raving fans and you can only buy it like in print. Like you can't get it on your Amazon, your audio. You, know, okay. like you can't like you have to fucking buy the actual book. It's the only way to buy it. Um, but it's, it's a hundred percent worth the read raving fans, raving fans. Okay. Yep. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and the last thing I actually want to talk about since we shifted the conversation into attraction also, and building your business model and, you know, attracting customers, I want to get your thoughts on marketing. So you're in a very, you know, roofing is a very niche in a sense industry, I would say. And I think marketing has been very foreign for a very long time, but I want to get your take on, how do you at DNM and you personally have embraced modern marketing, you know, especially now in 2023, what things are you doing to help you grow and amplify your business? Yeah, we're, 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 we're kind of delving into some different worlds this year. Um, we're, you know, I do a lot of branding of me and yeah. I'm getting, and I'm getting my, I'm getting my people on board with branding themselves as DNM Dan type of thing yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, because you want your you want your your network to know who you are first right um i i don't and again this conversation comes from if you're say you're you're on a budget right and yeah. and you only have so many marketing dollars to right. spend right? right and so where you start is start branding yourself because nobody really gives a shit about the, my company and the name of my company, right? right? They give a shit about me or they give a shit about the guy that's working for me that they're dealing with, right? Because they want to right. feel that they can trust that that person. And then in turn, they're going to trust the company, right? Um, when it comes to traditional marketing, we spend a lot of time and money on training sales guys to be able to deliver the best experience and on how to self-generate on doors. So roofing, a lot of roofing sales, I don't know how much you know about roofing sales, but a lot of roofing sales is done door to door, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Most successful companies have the ability to go canvas and set leads, whether it's commercial or residential, right? Making phone calls, pulling data lists um, and, and making introductions to be able to get personal experiences. Um, as a general rule, I don't believe in Facebook marketing to try and get leads out of Facebook marketing. And you know what I mean? Like lead, actual lead gen yeah, yeah. from that. I think it's garbage. I think it, I equate it to 20 years ago, uh, the tire kickers that called you out of the phone book, right? Though it's, to me, it's the same fucking person. Mm -hmm. What I utilize social media for is the branding aspect of it. Mm. And so, and so because I believe in that, I don't worry about the ROI on it, right? Because you can't track the ROI on branding, right? But because you you really want this metric, like you're like, if I put in $10,000, how much am I going to get back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think that you can do that on social, but what you can do is the branding side of it. So we're actually doubling down. We partnered with another company uh, by the name of Dope Marketing. Uh, Dave Carroll owns Dope Marketing up in Minneapolis, and they are a really big data uh, centric company that, yeah. And Dave, if anybody fucking calls you off of this, you owe me a rip, but, uh, they, they are a data, they're a data driven company. Um, and they do like postcard mailings and handwritten, handwritten notes. Right. But they literally use a machine that gives handwritten notes that you can't tell the difference between, yeah, yeah. um, they send those out, but then they put you on this amazing template schedule so that they actually tie into your CRM. 
So then when a job hits a certain stage, it targets the 50 houses around the build that you just did or the house that you just signed saying, hey, we're in your neighborhood. Sorry, it's going to be messy. We're going to be there for a couple of weeks. Hopefully you see us, blah, blah, blah. And you send out like four of those at different stages of the job, right? So we're yeah. delivering little mini billboards to their house that they can touch and they throw them away, right? They're not necessarily going to call you off of that card. But yeah. then when you, when you when you double down on it with your human, that is then in the neighborhood and knocking their door and you say, Hey, I'm Eric with DNM. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, I saw you with something. And that card all of a sudden just triggers something. And, Oh, we knew we were working in the neighborhood. So we did branding ads in a one mile radius of that house on Facebook so that they actually, so they saw that yeah. hopefully then yeah. they saw the cards and now they got the knock on the door, right? If anybody's waiting for somebody to call, your business, good fucking luck. You're lazy, right? If you yeah. don't teach your people how to yeah. self-generate, you have a cap, you have a ceiling. You know, it, one thing I admire about what you said about modern marketing and so pe people buy from you because you are the face of the business. You are the face of the brand. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned that you invest in a lot in the personal branding so that people understand that, you know, here's Eric, he's the owner of DNM. I've actually had a lot of arguments with people on, on Facebook, you know, gurus and whatnot. They're like, no, you know, your personal brand, and your business are not the same thing. Like the fuck they are. Bullshit. Like, bullshit. It is bullshit. And that's why I've I actually invested probably close to 10 years under a personal brand myself for the very same mm -hmm. reasons, because we do business with people we like, trust and see value from. It doesn't matter if it's called Eric's Roofing Company or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Even if it wasn't a roofing company. Right. But one thing that you mentioned, because I have worked with some roofing companies that they get stuck on what exactly you pointed out is just that they don't invest on personal branding. Uh, they go about uh, digital advertising the wrong way also. And it kind of goes back to the fundamentals of well, how you do things differently is what makes you different. Basically, your tactics, yeah. strategies, your execution on things, right? Similar to what you just said, and you talked about it earlier, how you emphasize the importance of family within your company. You invest so much into your sales reps to be able to self-promote themselves because they have to become like, you know, DNM Eric, DNM mm -hmm. Dan, DNM John. Uh, to where they invest into amplifying their personal brand on social media that's ultimately going to create that attraction, which is the top of the sales funnel, to be one to, to capture interest with potential residential, even commercial people. Because mm -hmm. let's face it, there are investors on social media. It's just how do you get to them? How do you yes. get in front of them? And this is where I think the power of personal branding comes in, as you talked about it. And I'm glad that you shared it because you know, uh, roofing, mining, just a lot of the traditional industries, I would say, you know, I think really struggle with understanding the importance of that because they don't understand, you know, likability, trust, and value, uh, you know, to what you talked about is people see Eric, they see you on your podcast. By the way, what is the name of your podcast? If you don't mind sharing that. Be authentic or get the fuck out. Love it. I absolutely yes. love it. Um, Thank you. And the reason I asked is because when people see you, they can connect with you. And when they can connect with you, they can connect with your business. Because you could be selling yeah. peanuts or lollipops. They'll still buy it at overpriced price tag because they connected with you on yeah. an emotional level. Um, and these are actually things that you talked about that some of these power players that you mentioned early on, like the Ed Milets and the Tony Robbins and Andy Frazellas that are all doing you know, I have done that has helped them scale to eight, nine and 10 figure businesses. So it mm -hmm. obviously works. Um, so I, I want to say thank you for sharing that because a lot of roofing companies do get stuck in exactly what you just pointed out because they don't invest. They don't see the value in investing. Uh, they might know that they need to invest in their personal brand or something more tactical and strategic, but they're afraid. It's kind of like what we yeah. talked about earlier between you know, fear and opportunity. Like you're right in the middle and you're like, well, the fear is like, oh, this is a much bigger liability. Don't go down that route. But the opportunity is like, what if? What if right. I become a seven or eight or nine figure roofing company in three to five years because I utilize all these things? Yep. I call it disruption, which is another mm -hmm. core value. If I disrupt 
the roofing space and the way that you're doing it, that can help me grow. But there's a lot of companies that I think don't see the value behind that. Um, 100%. I know we can keep going, Eric. And I want to say thank you so much. But before we wrap it up, you know, share some socials, website. What's the best way to connect with you and your company out there? Uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, my personal brand is just my last name, Oberemt, O-B-E-R-E-M-B-T. Um, you know, DNM roofing, that's, you know, that is what it is. Like, I'm not trying to get roofing jobs out of this. Like my, my, my purpose yep. of being on here is, is that I'm, I'm truly here and putting myself out into the world because I want to be able to help people. Um, I, you know, some of the other things that I do is I speak at some different conferences. I just got done doing a main stage keynote at RoofCon, which is one of the biggest roofing conventions in the country. And I got yep. to do a, a, a 45 minute keynote on uh, how to create a cult-like following inside of your company by utilizing the team method, um, which is implementing yep. trust, empathy, authenticity, and meaning into your people, into your company. Right. And I do. And so actually next week I'm going to door to door con out in salt Lake. Um, and I'm giving the same, uh, keynote out there. And so I really like connecting with people online, uh, to be able to help them with that, uh, with, with yeah. learning how to, how to, how to, how to, how to lead better, how to be a better leader of, of, of people. Um, and then from that, they find out my story in recovery and they, and there's a lot of people that have, a that, that, that still have the stigma attached to recovery and being an alcoholic and an addict. And what we're trying to do is tear down that wall of stigma and, and, and make people understand that like, you don't have to be ashamed of what has happened either in your past or what you're currently going through. And that there's people like me that have went through that and have come through the other side. And I can, I can tell people, well, I can't fucking do it for you, but I can tell you what I did to yeah get out of it and help lead you down that path or put you in contact with the right people. Um, those are the conversations that I relish online, right? So it's look up the podcast, be authentic or get the fuck out GTFO. Mm -hmm. I think it's how it's listed online and obviously Obremt. Um, but that's how I like connecting with people. I got, I'll be completely honest. I got zero desire to talk about fucking roofing. Like, don't care. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so fucking over roofing. I've been doing it for 30 years, right? Don't care about roofing. I care about the people inside of the companies and yeah. how we're helping them grow and how we're making them better and how we're making an impact on those humans, whatever industry you're in, it doesn't fucking matter. It's about the people in your business. It's not about you. It's about the people in your business, because when you raise them up and make them better, they will automatically become better people in the field, taking care of the clients that bring in the revenue. My job is not to sell jobs. My job is to make you better so that you can go sell jobs and live a more profound life. Absolutely love that, Eric. And once again, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. Whether you on the outside of your market trying to tap back in, or just need a little help to find a way to gain some traction again.